Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi, all. Uh, Welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. Before I get started, I just want to remind people there's massive censorship going on. Uh, Congressman Schiff asked Jeff Bezos of uh, Amazon to remove several videos. Mine, the big secret, was among them. Uh, Apparently, they don't want information on nutrition out to the public. Don't know what this means, but we need to be aware of this. Anyway, today we have Dr. Cynthia Lee. That's L-I. And she's the author of a brand new book called Brave New Medicine, A Doctor's Unconventional Path to Healing Her Autoimmune Illness. She went through a horrendous ordeal without any help from any source she could find. Uh, Traditional medicine didn't serve her well, yet she was a physician. And how perplexing can this be? Uh, She did a, a very arduous path, learning many things that when I look through the book, I mean, parallels with what we've learned in functional medicine. So a little background on Cynthia. She's practiced internal medicine in settings as diverse as Kaiser Permanente. She worked at San Francisco General Hospital, St. Anthony's Medical Clinic for the Homeless. She currently serves on the Faculty of Healers Art at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. She also has a private practice in integrative and functional medicine and somebody that has been through the depths of everything that can go wrong without perceiving any help out there, she would be an excellent one to go to because she would understand the distress that many people are facing. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan. It's a, it's a real honor to be here with you. Well, it's, it's mutual. Uh, you had quite a horrendous story, and do you want to tell us a little bit about that story and how medicine served you or didn't serve you. I mean, it sounds like your whole life was put on hold. You couldn't even leave your flat. And it was very hard for people to understand what you're going through because you're a doctor. Just fix it. So can you tell us a little about your story? (laughs) Right. Well, um, I guess before I go into my story, I I just want to say that this memoir is really, at the most fundamental level, is about uh, beliefs and how um, beliefs can either limit us or really expand us. And so as a young doctor, I had believed um, and been trained that the difference between health and disease uh, was some, something like a distinct line, right? So like on one side, you're well, and on the other side, you're not. And this line could be a number, you know, a lab number. It could be a diagnostic test. It could be a set of criteria. And sometimes the line would move depending on the latest clinical guidelines. But either way, if you had, you know, if you met X, then you had Y. And if you didn't, you didn't. And this paradigm uh, worked for me until that is that I got when I got sick, and when I got sick with uh, a mysterious condition, which is the um, the fate of so many 
you know, millions of Americans, to say nothing of, of um, the statistics worldwide. So um, I was quite healthy, at least from my understanding, um, until uh, the birth of my first baby. And a few months after she was born, I developed uh, autoimmune thyroiditis. And, I mean, it came as symptoms of, you know, rapid uh, weight loss, heart fluttering, arrhythmias, insomnia, and, uh, but I was, I remember how relieved I was to get a diagnosis. And everything in, in the um, conventional Western paradigm hinges on the diagnosis. You have that name, uh, we know how to treat it. If you don't have a name, we don't have anything to offer because um, the treatments have been tested and tested and tested um, for specific diagnoses. So I had the autoimmune thyroiditis, and I um, took, um, you know, quote, conventional uh, medicine. I, um, I took medicine to slow my heart rate down, to treat my symptoms, and then when I uh, went from the overactive thyroid state to the underactive thyroid state, uh, I took thyroid replacement, um, and I thought I had the best uh, top experts in the, in the area treating me, and I felt in very good hands. Now, my numbers then um, normalized, and with autoimmune thyroiditis in the postpartum period, it often uh, resolves. So my numbers normalized, but my symptoms did not. And as far as I knew, at least according to how I was trained, I still thought I was cured. So I thought it was a matter of time that my symptoms would would improve, um, but they did not. Um, when I got pregnant two years later, uh, this, I had a very dramatic, uh, dramatic, sudden illness when I was in Beijing visiting my family. And when I sort of came out of the acute episode, I had what would then become the, um, the onset of chronic fatigue syndrome and something called dysautonomia, where the autonomic nervous system that controls blood pressure, temperature, heart rate, um, digestion, basically anything that happens automatically and that we take for granted. Um, So that system in me was in complete disarray. And I knew as a doctor that these mystery illnesses lacked good treatment options. Um, But... The real conundrum I was with, uh, that, that, that I was in, in addition to the physical misery, was that I, as a doctor, had not believed such conditions to be real. And, you know, we had no way in medicine to measure them. So it took me being housebound for about two years um, before I could readily let go of the classical medical training and rebuild my knowledge from the bottom up. So my solo odyssey uh, really began on my living room couch when I was housebound and I had two young kids. Um, But I learned a lot of fundamental concepts and this is sort of where the belief, right, sort of letting go of old beliefs and uh, being open to new ones. Uh, A lot of it actually was not so new. It was going back into fundamental concepts, going back into my Pathology 101 and Physiology 101 textbooks and learning anew that the body, you know, my body 
and other people's bodies. We're not machines to be fixed, per se, but a dynamic ecosystem really to be nurtured and tended. And that chronic diseases were not about sort of these definitive lines, but really continuums. And that my conditions, even though I was, quote, healthy and functional before the thyroiditis hit, um, the, the underlying imbalances and inflammation had probably been going on for a very long time. So um, the, key fu- uh, the key learning was that, uh, that chronic inflammation is a common denominator for um, chronic conditions. And so I began sort of piecing, you know, p- uh, one by one different factors um, that would... Uh, help reduce inflammation. And I will say, I mean, I call it a solo odyssey, but uh, I was guided by the grace of many, many doctors, uh, many, many teachers in the form, you know, of not necessarily doctors, although doctors were there too, um, but acupuncturists and um, uh, friends who were intuitive and... Um, Qigong, you know, a Qigong master. Uh, my children were teachers to me. So um, I, I was very blessed. I'm fascinated by so many things you say here. I mean, I don't know where to start. But we'll start with this delineation. You have a disease. You don't have a disease. I mean, that is incredible. So your sugars can go up. I mean, I went into a doctor and the fast, my fasting sugars went from 65 to 95. Oh, you're normal. And then this was at Kaiser. I said, have you heard of the Kaiser study? Kaiser study says for each point, your blood sugar is above 83, fasting blood sugar, 6% chance of getting diabetes. It's a continuum. And I am, as well as you are, uh, seen as a very difficult patient. Also, (laughs) inflammation is a very interesting thing because, I mean, Mark Houston said that, for example, he's on our interview, he's been interviewed a couple of years ago, but that uh, heart disease has 400 causes and the reaction's the same. And the same, I think, with Alzheimer's and whatever, inflammation is underlying everything. And what I see is I go in and there's a symptom and they give you a pill for it and that will mask the symptoms. But the real key, like what you were doing, what is the cause of the inflammation? What is stirring that up? I mean, to ignore that, I mean, there's a big fire going on in the body and without putting on the fire, what good is the pills? And another thing is, I mean, I mean, I guess, I mean, you could tell me that you can have normal labs and still an underlying process that's leading toward disease. Right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was, you know, I couldn't get off the couch. I was housebound for, uh, for years, and uh, my, my labs were normal. Now, my, I mean, when I say labs were normal, it, they were largely screening labs, right? So I didn't even make it through that first hoop, you know, in terms of things being off. So I could feel that I, I could even describe, hey, you know what, like, actually, I meet these uh, you know, I know my autonomic nervous system is really off. Um, I kept focusing on my thyroid because that's something I could, you know, sort of hang my hat on, but my thyroid n- numbers were normal. Um, so absolutely, you can, you, you can be incredibly, incredibly unwell but have normal tests. And it's, you know, it's because the, the testing that we have does not go deep enough. Um, 
the the other piece that you know that you're alluding to about um, the continuum is that well because the way that we're trained is uh, is with drugs right or uh, procedures in some cases so we're trained uh, doctors are classically trained as uh, interventionists right so we we do something to intervene and uh, and that's that's where treating comes in. Um, but and that works great for acute conditions. I mean, if 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 I need one of those interventions, I mean, I'm you know I'm not. This is not sort of like a, that's bad and this is a good model. It's to say that their their um, their gifts are in different contexts. So what happens with chronic diseases, though, is it it is a continuum, and so. If the only tools that we have are drugs, let's say in the case of diabetes that you gave, um, you know, someone's blood sugars are, re- are quite low, but they're creeping up. Okay, you know what? What we're trained to do is you wait till they hit that threshold, the di- you know, to, to meet the diagnosis of diabetes, whatever that blood, that blood sugar level is, and then we begin the medication. So, um, but, but, so I would say part of it is just the limitation in tools that we have. Um, if we are really looking at the root causes, what's driving the diabetes, right? And, I mean, sure, there's um, dietary changes. That's a huge one. Sure, there's a sedentary lifestyle that needs to, you know, needs to change. Big ones. Um, but there are other subtle imbalances, right? Magnesium deficiency can uh, worsen insulin uh, resistance, and um, there can be some low-grade infections, right, that's triggering inflammation enough to drive the blood sugars up just a little bit, not to diabetes level, but to chronically drive it up. So can we identify those and remove them and, you know, balance out the magnesium with some supplements, and um, the whole body then becomes more balanced. Now, and the, also, the toxins other, is a major contributor to one? diabetes. Toxins, I mean, they can oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. They can get on the receptors. They can interfere in many, many ways. And the absolutely. government will say a little bit of this won't hurt you, but they're synergistic as they act uh, different mechanisms, and they could really push diabetes along. Yes, yes. And gluten, you know, gluten is a big one too, uh, for numerous reasons. For the for the the chemicals that they uh, that we douse gluten with in this country, and uh, as well as people who develop antibodies um, against gluten that can cross react with the pancreas. So yeah, so there there are a lot of root causes for these chronic conditions, but we're just not trained in that method uh, because most of our our training is in the hospital. So tell us what Brave New Medicine uh, means to you. So the, the, the name Brave New Medicine actually came to me quite early when I was in the writing process, and um, it was suggested to me by, um, by the, the head of the publishing house um, for my book. And... Initially, I thought, oh, God, you know, no, I don't like that because it, it evoked, of course, the dystopia of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, and I was, I was wanting something more positive. Um, but, there, but 
I realized there was this point in my story when I, was at, when I found myself in that no man's land where Western medicine doesn't go, I did feel like I had entered the landscape of this dystopian novel. Um, so, so that was kind of where that name came from. But the, the reason I embraced it was um, because I loved brave and new as two qualities um, for discovery, right? So discovery, I feel like, is part serendipity and it's part grit. And so it's really about venturing into new territories, um, you know, going beyond um, what we've been taught and what, you know, taught how to think. Um, and, um, and so Brave New Medicine for me is really a call to us as a culture, both doctors and patients alike, to participate in a new form of healthcare that better supports healing. So on my journey, right, I had really um, discovered cutting-edge concepts in science like the microbiome, right, the, the health of the, of the flora in our gut, on, in our mouths, um, in the genital areas, on the skin, like how, how it is, how important the microbiome is to our health as a human being. Um, neuroplasticity, the capacity of, of neurons, right, to change the patterns in which they connect based on what we think and what we feel, what we eat, what we breathe. Um, epigenetics and uh, really the turning on and off of certain genes. So literally changing our genes by what we think and by what we feel and by what we're eating. So, um, so Brave New Medicine is part cutting-edge science, but the paradigms that this cutting-edge science is wrapped in is, as you said, Susan, uh, functional, sort of the functional medicine paradigm. It's about root causes, but more than root causes, it's really understanding our bodies as ecosystems. So when we start thinking in terms of systems, right, like, for example, with my thyroiditis, I now understand it wasn't a thyroid organ problem in isolation. It was an imbalance in the entire immune system, uh, sorry, in the entire hormone system to say nothing of its connection to the immune system, to say nothing of the connection to the nervous system and to the digestive system. So all of these systems in us are, are linked. And the more we can understand that, you know, the better we can, uh, we can understand these, these vague symptoms that patients come to us with, like fatigue uh, you know, or chronic pain. Um, at the systems level, it just makes a lot more sense. Um, uh, what you say is makes so much sense because it's a lot more complicated than a linear, I've got a symptom, what's the pill to hide it? So, I mean, so you would see a difference between healing and treating. So what would your more ideal type of medicine be? Yeah, so the, um, the more, well, so healing, I would say, is, so treating um, is, right, is, uh, offering an intervention, right? A drug, usually a drug or procedure, and it's one direction from the doctor to the patient. Um, healing is really any modality that activates the body's innate intelligence um, to restore balance and to pro- improve energy. And this kind of activation can happen within an individual. 
between a doctor and a patient, within a family, a community, or, you know, in nature, in relationship to a place. So, and, and one thing to just to, um, to emphasize is that healing and treating are not mutually exclusive. And had I paid closer attention during my medical training, I would have stuck much closer to those mentors of mine who were masters at the art of healing in addition to the, practice, the science and the practice of medicine. Uh, very interesting. So I think oh. we're both labeled as difficult patients. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, at some places they even called security, to, you know, because I was asking, you know, if I've got treating, if I've got prescribing privileges here and you're treating me like this, how are you treating your patients? And I left about a minute before security got there. So what's it like being a difficult patient? How does this affect the way you practice medicine? So, I mean, so a difficult patient is, um, right, is someone who, who makes the doctor feel uncomfortable. And it can be someone who uh, has a really challenging personality, uh, maybe very aggressive and uh, accusatory. It can be someone who uh, sort of comes in with their own agenda and, and demands it. It can be um, someone like me where I was actually trying to be a very good patient and I did everything that I, you know, was, was prescribed to do. Um, but I challenged my doctors because I kept coming back. I kept coming back. I kept coming back. My symptoms were not getting any better. And, and I was, I was also becoming increasingly anxious. So, um, and desperate. The, um, and I remember the moment that that I realized that oh my god I am I am the difficult patient. It's a very lonely place to be because um, not only are you left on your own, but you realize, or I'll just speak for myself, I realized that uh, I was afraid to go back to another doctor because the stigma of seeing myself in the reflection of their eyes as a difficult patient was just more than I could even deal with. So why go back when all I'm doing is creating difficulty um, for everyone? Um, And, of course, you know, as I said earlier, I recognize for patients with complex chronic conditions like mine, it's uh, it's the tension arises because... um, because I don't fit into the paradigm. And the paradigm is, is very rigid, and so much of it, so much of the weight and trust is placed on the objective data, which now we know is very, very limited for complex chronic conditions. Um, so and to your question, I mean, what, what is it like? Um, yeah, it's, it's another stress. It's another stressor into the cumulative stressors that were already going on. Um, and it also can create, um, I know for myself, it created a sense of learned helplessness. I didn't realize that until I had started writing and could see in hindsight that, wow, you know, I was already feeling learned helplessness from these conditions that I couldn't explain. Um, 
but then to have the stigma of be, of being a difficult patient uh, was was furthering that sense of helplessness. Well, I'm difficult because I ask them to. Can you find out what's causing it underneath rather than just getting out your prescription pad? So that's been my history. But how does this mm. affect the way you later practice medicine? Oh, I mean, aside from uh, having profound empathy for my patients, um, you know, I do. I and I also have sympathy for doctors. Uh, just in the standard fifteen to twenty minutes per patient. Um, there's very little that we can do, um, and, and our tests don't go deep enough. And one thing, um, you know, patients are coming to doctors for answers and for solutions, and so when I know when I was on the doctor's side of the bedside, if I didn't have anything to offer, I would feel very, like I was really letting them down. And one of the greatest and most underappreciated gifts I could have given to my patients then, and which I practice, you know, with each patient now, is simply my attention. And one of my mentors, Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen, calls this generous listening, where we are fully present, um, judgments aside, preconceptions aside, expertise aside, and uh, acknowledging their their story, their experience. Absolutely. I mean, I think it would be very frustrating if the per- person doesn't even feel heard. That's pretty frustrating. So um, what were your steps in healing? I mean, you've d- gone into intuition and looking at sleep and nature and toxins. I mean, on your own, through a very difficult trial and error path and seeking information where you could, You've gone through many things, and so what was your path in resolving your issue, your health issues? Well, I mean, you covered quite a few steps um, in uh, in that question. It was, yeah, it was really a stepwise sort of, I approached it like a mystery, like, okay, there's a mystery going on, and I'm going to figure out um, what the factors are, right, triggering the inflammation that's going on, and Uh, I didn't actually come to the functional medicine model, the paradigm, until later in my um, in my journey. But just for the listeners, um, functional medicine is really uh, a paradigm of of, uh, modern science in looking at the root causes of chronic disease and really breaking them down into five causes five classes of causes, Um, so allergens and infections, stress, which could be emotional, physical, and mental, um, toxins or pollutants, and then the poor diet. And then, so so I was trying to um, discover, you know, any or all of these um, triggers that were of inflammation and reducing or removing them. Um, the, then there are the seven essential ingredients for optimal health. That's sort of on the other side of the equation. And what we want to do with those, of course, is to boost any or all of them. And that's, you know, eating real food. It's balancing your hormones. It's um, making your environment healthier, um, relaxing. And my favorite, you know, piece or uh, one that I was very out of touch with uh, was practicing pleasure, <laughs> 
getting adequate <laughs> sleep, um, uh, exercise and movement, and then community, love, and purpose. And, and I will say that the exercise or movement is often the hardest for people who, are, um, who have dysautonomia and um, chronic fatigue, right? Because anytime you exert yourself a little bit, your symptoms get exacerbated. So you sort of create this, this PTSD cycle um, throughout the day, every day. Uh, it gets very, very difficult. So Qigong was a mind-body-spirit practice that I began years ago. And um, it's something that I could even do from my couch if I was really tired uh, or dizzy one day. So, um, and then I just kind of gradually, gradually built on that. And that's, that's, I would say, out of all the things I did, uh, aside from um, cutting out processed foods and and really uh, not just eating whole foods, but connecting to where my food came from and connecting, you know, to the earth and to the abundance and the, the richness and the health that's in the earth, um, that the, the mind-body-spirit practice uh, was, was really fundamental and something that I wished I had started earlier on. Um, and looking back in the years, is there anything you would have done differently? I mean, it must be really hard to be really so tired and not understand what the dysautonomia is about and difficult to get off the couch. That's got to be hard on everybody around you. Um, is there anything you would have done differently? Yeah, so I think I just um, said that I, I, yeah, I would have started my Qigong practice earlier. I hadn't quite realized. Um, when I first started it, I was practicing it as a, as a body movement uh, practice that I could handle. And I was very focused on the movements and sort of my energy and how I felt physically. But I had not, it was after years of practicing uh, on a mostly daily basis that I dropped into this place of deeper consciousness where I suddenly realized what the, the quote, spirit part of the practice was. And it was that, uh, and spirit, I, I really mean sort of this connection to, to, uh, not just my family, but to the greater community around me, and really the whole universe. And I don't mean it in a woo-woo way, but really in an integral way. So I suddenly recognize the, the value, the worth of my being in this life, even when I was not um, producing or, quote, succeeding you know, as a doctor or able to get out of the house. It was just like, oh, you know what? I'm worthy just because I am. And that really came through, uh, through my, my Qigong practice. Um, so that, that would have, and that was a huge thing because I, uh, together that with um, understanding how to release grief, and you know, I, I write about this very profound grief ritual um, that I had attended, and I continued to, to practice releasing grief in, in a similar way after the ritual, um, but I, I was able to let go of the shame, um, both of being a difficult patient um, as well as the shame of being a doctor who could not heal herself. And, and that I, was huge. That was a huge, insidious you know, cause of inflammation that I had not recognized. 
I love your mention of the spiritual. I think that is key into anything that we want to do and whatever issue we have, I think the solution lies there somehow. So do you have any recommendations? I know you've mentioned Qigong. Any recommendations Mm -hmm. in how the audience can connect with their spiritual and their spiritual guidance? Yeah, I, um, you know, I I think that term spirit is, uh, or spiritual, has gotten really diluted um, uh, over the the recent years. But I would say just in a in a general sense, I mean, if someone has a particular religious um, religious affiliation, that um, you know, use it, um, connect that somehow to not just your your mental beliefs uh, or mental um, ideas, but connect that to the body. And I think that that's where often um, we can, uh, often that is the missing uh, link. It's literally like the mind and the body are separate, right? We're trying to reestablish those, those neural connections for uh, the healing in the mind to come down into the body. So um, I know for myself, you know, I was raised evangelical in um, in the heartland of Texas, and it was it was both loving um, because it was attached to my family and to my community, but the messages you know about heaven and hell, particularly hell, and non-believers going to hell, and you know the world is suffering. It was very traumatic for me. Um, I actually went into medicine largely um, prompted by this this desire to ease suffering that I had, you know, heard so much about as a, as a kid. So for me, um, the Qigong, interestingly, um, brought me back to this natal religion, and I have experienced it in a very, very different way. Um, I now attend a, an Episcopalian church, that um, I never thought I would. I never thought I would be going back to church, but I've be, been able to experience quote spirit and spiritual experiences in a much more profound and different way than um, than I was young. And at the same time, it is healing this deep trauma that I had with the misunderstandings and. Um, you know, sort of the negative messages about, um, yeah, about death and rebirth. So, go ahead. No, I was, continue. Oh, but, you know, but for those who who do not have a religious uh, affiliation or even want to run the other way, um, uh, being in nature is, is incredibly healing. So, I would say just spiritual is, is connecting to to the living world, the living universe, and whatever that means to an individual. Um, one of the most healing things that I can do is to put on my wetsuit and and jump in the ocean uh, in Northern California, which is which is quite cold, but connecting to this infinite mass of the ocean is deeply, I would say, spiritual to me and uh, very, very healing. 
So, um, but, you know, that's, that's one of those prescriptions that I cannot give to my patients, that they're going to have to find it for themselves wherever they derive that kind of meaning. It can be um, having dinner, um, you know, no gadgets, no uh, phone calls, no books even, but just having dinner together as a family and being present for each other. Yes, I believe that the word spiritual has been over-diluted, but, I mean, to my perception, I mean, seeing, seeing a lovely puppy dog, a beautiful baby, a beautiful sunset, anything that we can feel joy, any, and if we can connect with gratitude, I mean, that to me is certainly the beginning, and expanding on that, I think, is, a way, is, is one way to approach it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and the, the sacred is really joy. all. Yes, the the sacred is really all around us, um, and a lot of it is is also perception. Um, when when I was yeah just deep in my um, in the darkness of my illness, the the capacity to see joy or peace or love even was was really obscured. So it becomes a um, sort of a mental reawakening um, with some conscious efforts, with some great conscious effort. I think it's so important because a planet is certainly being challenged in many different directions. Um, you talk heavily about beliefs and, you know, beliefs, they can affect our health, um, thoughts can affect epigenetics. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so beliefs, um, beliefs, the way that I mean it, is uh, something that, that an idea or a framework that our analytical mind um, latches onto or formulates or understands. So um, it's different, when I use the term belief, I, I mean something different than faith or trust which um, for me comes from a deeper place. Um, you know, to go back to that word, maybe a place of spirit or maybe a place of the body, you know, like my, my heart has faith in, um, in a particular person or an idea. Um, so what happens with um, the mind often is, right, we get these conditioned, conditioned and conditioned um, statements, ideas that get thrown around, and then that becomes sort of the truth with the capital T. Um, this can be either limiting or expanding. So one of the things that happens with these chronic illnesses is that we stop, we give up hope, right? or we lose hope. Um, basically, being the difficult patient or not even being a difficult patient, being a good patient, but having no, um, no remedies or no uh, prescriptions that are helpful, or we try, you know, e- even in functional medicine, you know, you can try uh, this diet or that diet. You can try, you know, a whole protocol of supplements and, and medications and herbs uh, to no avail. 
Um, we can, uh, you know, go through uh, an exercise program and, again, um, suffer relapses. So it's not one method or another. It's, um, and that's where the intuitive piece uh, for me came in incredibly, uh, you know, um, importantly. It, we had to, I had to learn how to navigate the infinite amounts of possible choices and what is going to help me, what is, what is going to be my, what foods do, does my body need right now, um, not in 10 years, not 10 years ago, but right now. Um, so, but what happens with this constant trial and error um, is that I had, I lost, I, I didn't believe that I could heal. And I never said it overtly, but that's actually what happens when, that, that's what happened when I lost hope. And, um, and after I kind of got on the other side, at least I was out of the house. I was able to get out of the house for two hours, three hours a day, um, but with considerable management. You know, I was, um, it felt very laborious to manage my symptoms and my life. And I recognized that the simplest step of healing is also the hardest, and it goes back to belief. If I can um, visualize myself in perfect health, whatever that means or looks like, that's the first step, right? And there was this saying, I don't even know where I heard it before, but um, I think it's just a common saying, but imagination before implementation. Like you have to be able to imagine or visualize it before you can fully realize it. And that's, that was the big difference for me, was that belief was the analytical side, my left brain, but visualizing and imagining was actually the right brain. So I could bypass whatever it was that my left brain <laughs> believed was possible or not um, with my intuitive side and just began to play around with that, you know, with my imagination. What does it look like to be in perfect health again? I would imagine myself and embody that imagination, you know, of me climbing a mountain, of me um, surfing uh, in the ocean, of me, I mean, doing things that I never even did when I was healthy. <laughs> so it, beca- it became a form of play, which, of course, is also very healing. Interesting. And what fascinates me about your journey is when you're exploring intuition, which is something that I am totally fascinated with and use all the time. So tell me about the role of intuition. You alluded to it. And how does your understanding of intuition differ from the general use of the word? And how do you develop intuition? So intuition, I had realized I was, it's, it's sort of like the word, Spiritual. I mean, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I came across a definition that I really liked from the HeartMath Institute, um, who, this is an institute that has done a lot of um, uh, st- 
measurements on things like um, the electromagnetic field of the heart and um, how brain waves and heart waves synchronize. And, you know, this area sort of of, um, the cross-section of mind, body, spirit, and it was very fascinating to me. So their, their definition of intuition was something like a process where information that's normally outside of our mental and cognitive processes is perceived in the body and mind as a, as a form of certainty, a certainty of knowledge. And so I took that, and I will say, I mean, I had a, I had a mentor, a friend, who happened to be visiting us um, and stayed in our home, who she was, um, she was clairvoyant. And I describe a, a turning point in my, you know, sort of in my understanding of what was possible when she used her clairvoyance to, um, to detect, to identify a root cause of my daughter's night terrors. And she remedied it. And then my daughter. That night was terrors, so which, interesting. That part was so go- interesting. Your daughter's yeah. cat night terrors. Right. Right. So my two-year-old was having night terrors every night, like clockwork, for four months. And um, Pia, my friend uh, and teacher, uh, basically identified it right off the bat and um, and cleared the energy. So it. it you know, I was I was completely astonished, and not just astonished in a positive way. I was in disbelief, and it was part of me was afraid. I was afraid because it was something so outside of my worldview that it was unfamiliar. Um, and uh, but yet she began to um, to teach me how I could develop intuition. So she. Described intuition like any other craft, um, whether it was uh, a musical, learning a musical instrument, you know, singing or art. That some of us are born incredibly gifted, some of us are born tone deaf and needing um, significant support. Most of us are somewhere in the in under the bell curve, and that wherever we are, even the gifted, even those at the lower end of the spectrum, we can uh, learn to develop it and that it's a practice. It's just, you know, it's like you practice your piano. You, there's also a theory behind it. You can, right, just like learning notes and learning how to, how to read music. Um, there's also a theory and a, a method to developing intuition. Um, so... I began to learn how to tune into going back to the heart math um, definition of the this knowing that is perceived in the body and the mind. I began to pay attention to my body sensations and um, correlating the sensations with uh, you know some of some of the sensations meant yes, some of the sensations meant no. Um, I began a daily meditation practice, and this, again, this kind of folded into my Qigong practice. So um, I think the first step to developing intuition is learning how to silence the analytical left mind, um, because mine had been so overly exercised 
um, that you know my brains were probably incredibly lopsided. I was very left brain heavy, and the right brain had been quiet for a long time. So when I could silence the analytical mind, um, images sometimes would pop up in the in my uh, you know in my sort of mind's eye. And if I held a particular question in mind, if I was asking about my health, uh, certain images would come up. And so I've developed it, cultivated it enough that I, I do practice with my patients as well. You know, before each patient, I will sit in meditation, uh, both to just sort of clear myself from the last patient and to focus on the one that I'm about to um, see, but also to see if... I intuitively um, pick anything up that might get missed. So what was it that was the underlying trigger or exacerbator for your daughter's cavities and night terrors? Oh, so the, so the cavities were actually a different room, was my older daughter. So that was something else. That was, some, that was gluten and some uh, uh, inflammation in the gut, uh, which we, we then addressed through diet, and her cavities went away. Um, the uh, the night terrors was my younger daughter, and Pia, this friend um, who could sense energy, had said that she um, she felt that there was there was heavy energy in the house. We had just moved from San Francisco to Berkeley, and we're, we were in a hundred year old house. And she said that that the energy there was um, was really heavy, um, and uh, she cleared it with. Uh, with dried sage. So, okay. I mean, as even as I'm saying it, it's I know it just sounds, you know, really far out <laughs> for people. Oh, it's it's not never far been. out, is my belief. What was it like? You started your book, you were presenting at Grand Rounds to your colleagues, discussing your story. What was that like for you? That was really, um, that was terrifying because it was one thing for me to... Uh, you know, to sort of have my private experience and and come to a, a new framework, whether it's functional medicine, whether it's the ecological paradigm of health, whether it's intuition. But, you know, to, to develop that on my own and then to be able to practice on my own in, in a private practice. It was quite another thing to go back to a major medical center um, where I had once been practicing and to give grand rounds to mainstream doctors, you know, a couple hundred of them, and to present that. So I had no idea what they were going, how it was going to be received. Um, And, you know, I was also very careful with how much, I was very careful with my language, and everything, everything was wrapped in science, and everything was wrapped in a common language, Um, and I can still speak um, you know, conventional med- medicine, I can still, even intuition, I can often explain to people who are skeptics um, what it is and how it is that our body senses in ways that are beyond the, the sort of the, what we think of as the five common senses. This brings me um, to an so interesting I was, point. I was very nervous. Because, I'm sorry, what? 
this brings me to an interesting point because to communicate with somebody, you've got to go to their frame of reference. So I recommend to the patients, I mean, I've, you know, taught people who are really woo-woo, you've got to go and talk, try to communicate to the doctor in languages that he kind of understands and then bring him softly to whatever your concern is. But we only have two minutes left, so I'd like to give you an opportunity to uh, communicate what you would like to the listeners and also to let them know how to get in touch with you. Oh, great. I mean, I guess the, just the, the take-home message is really just one of hope that healing can happen and healing happens all around us. Um, so just not to, not to give that up and that sometimes when it feels like we're trying our hardest and nothing is happening, that it often means that we need to try differently, not harder. And... Um, yeah, the, the, I'm on, uh, the, the social media that I'm on is Facebook, and it's under Dr. Cynthia Lee, Lee is spelled L-I, and um, I have a website, it's CynthiaLeeMD.com, C-Y-N-T-H-I-A-L-I-M-D.com. Well, I want to thank you for all of that because uh, there are many other people that are perplexed by their health issues or many other issues, and to see how you went through these all alone, without help, without a lot of people understanding a lot of it, is an inspiring story that might give the rest of us hope. Also, you've got many interesting clues that for, for health, including finding joy, pleasure, dealing with grief, sleep, exercise, etc. You cover all the great things that scientific studies do show help our health. So I recommend to the listener, go get her book, Brave New Medicine, A Doctor's Unconventional Path to Healing Your Autoimmune Illness, and do your own research so you can help yourself and others. You can communicate to your physician who it's good to work with. And above all, be well. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week. Are you looking for a great movie to watch? Tired of swiping through hundreds of different channels hoping to see something that sparks your interest? Well, I have great news to share with you. Today, everyone has either cut the cord with their cable company or are thinking about it. I cut the cord more than five years ago, and I don't miss cable one bit. There are now so many money-saving options to cable TV. My favorite right now is Roku. There are literally thousands of wonderful channels for every type of viewing experience you can possibly imagine. But today, I wanted to tell you about two very special channels, Indie Rights Movies and Indie Rights Free Movies. You will find both of these channels in the Movies and TV section of the Channel Store on Roku. All the movies on the Indie Rights Free Movies channel are absolutely free for you to watch. You can browse through hundreds of movies organized in interesting groups you can scan through quickly like top-rated films from Rotten Tomatoes, monster horror, country drama, dark comedies, crime docs, films directed by women, and social issue docs. 
You won't find categories like these on other popular streaming channels. Speaking of social issue docs, you might watch The Big Secret. The Big Secret is the latest work by Emmy Award-winning producer Alex Foss, directed by integrative physician Susan Downs. It's all about the influence big money has on your health and well-being. If you prefer to watch movies without ads, subscribe to Indie Rights Movies, available everywhere.